Well, good morning, my friends, and welcome to the Heritage Hour. I'm Mark Gonzalez, your pastoral encourager for Southwest Florida, here at the Royal Palm Association of Churches, and it's such a joy to be with you once again on this Saturday morning, as we've been doing for about 28 years now. What a privilege. And if you've been with us most recently, you know that we're in the middle of a parenting series. We started it off just a few weeks ago talking about the five core heart starts in parenting. Then we went to the four key stages of parenting that as your kids are growing older, we make adjustments on the way that we relate to them and and train them. And now we're in the middle of a section we call eight basic reasons why kids disobey. And then, of course, what to do about it. We've done the first three, but as we get started this morning, uh, as is our custom, to carry on with our journey of discovering why kids tend to disobey and how it's so important to know that distinction because our responses and parents and teachers and coaches uh, will vary depending upon the reason that they may be disobeying us. So, uh, yeah, let's explore that together, but, oh, let's just go before the Lord and ask Him to speak, though, shall we? Well, Lord, we just love coming to your presence. Lord, we love to come and sit at your feet and gaze in your eyes and let you speak to us heart to heart. And Lord, we are just so aware that we have been giving a stewardship, not ownership, of the children you've been pleased to give to us, whether it's by birth or by uh, adoption uh, or whatever mechanisms, Lord, that are out there, we see that we have a great responsibility to steward the hearts and lives of these children as best we can. So, Lord, as we just uh, talk about why kids tend to disobey all the different reasons and what we're to do about it, I, I pray it'll get embedded in our hearts that we can be good representatives of the grace and the mercy and yet the corrective hand of you as our gentle and loving and yet firm Father. Thank you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We pray this in the powerful name of the Lord Jesus Christ by his precious cleansing and healing, transforming, empowering, and forgiving blood. Amen. Amen and amen. All right, my friends, just by way of a brief recap of what we talked about last time as we started our journey through the eight basic reasons why kids disobey. The first three were, number one, physiological hindrance. You know, there's just times when um, there are just physical things going on. There's just literally poor hearing. They don't hear your instructions. It could be hypoglycemia or ADHD or Asperger's or Tourette's. You know, there's some medical uh, hindrances that can be addressed uh, through nutrition sometimes, through uh, alternative or traditional medical specialists and all to help you uh, rule those particular options out. Then this number two, uh, why kids disobey. The second reason is inattentiveness. You know, kids tend to be lost in their own world and uh, they have vivid imaginations. They get easily uh, wrapped up in what they're thinking about and they just aren't being attentive when you give your orders. Then when we uh, do kind of what I call drive-by orders, kind of like driving by that kiosk uh, outside of McDonald's to make an order, if you don't stop to tell them what you want, you just drive by and try to shout it out there, they're not going to get that. Well, neither do your kids. So this is when we talk about 
taking the time to kneel down, get eye contact, maybe hold up an index finger to be a visual reminder that I'm just going to say this once, just once. Are you ready? Here it comes, honey. I need you to whatever. That way they're attentive, you're attentive, and that could be the only reason. There's no rebellion there. They're not bucking your authority. They just didn't get it. I may have heard, but they weren't listening. We may have been giving them the orders or commands or the things we want them to do, but so quickly they just didn't grab it. Well, number three is childish forgetfulness or distraction. You know, kids like us can get easily distracted by a toy or something on the way to a chore. I cannot tell you how many times I forget something just because it's out of sight, out of mind, or something else comes up uh, en route. And so uh, one of the things we can do is to turn chores into games together. Uh, we spot check them. Uh, like if you ask them to clean their room or something, you set a little timer, make it a little game. Let's see what we can do in 15 minutes, you know, and offer a little reward. But just little things like that to help them focus and not forget. We all forget stuff. So childish forgetfulness, um, distraction, uh, when things come up, that's not rebellion. So don't be too harsh about that. Just come up with creative ways to help them stay on task. Now we get to number four as we start our journey for the day. It's dominant enthusiasm. Sometimes kids disobey because of dominant enthusiasm. Think, um, think about Tigger in Winnie the Pooh. I just love that character. All that energy, all that bouncing. Oh, the wonderful thing about Tiggers. Tiggers are a wonderful thing. Their heads are made out of rubber. Their tails are made out of springs. They're bouncy, 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 and you know the rest. They ricochet through life. He does. And some kids, they have such dominant enthusiasm at play in their life that they're like Tigger. And it's not that they're trying to frustrate you or mess up your carrot patch like Tigger was doing for poor Rabbit who got so frustrated with him. In fact, I remember one episode when uh, he convinced everybody to gang up on Tigger and say, you can't be dominantly enthusiastic anymore. Stop bouncing, stop bouncing. So he did and he was sad and then everybody got sad and finally at the end, Rabbit sees we got to let him bounce and so they give him his bounce back and oh, what a glorious day that was. It's just a given that those kids that are wired with dominant enthusiasm are going to make a mess. They're going to mess up the cabbage patch or the carrot patch. They're the ones who don't think it's all that important to clean up the room or make your bed. After all, you're going to get right back in it later on anyway. And so they ricochet through life. And that's not being rebellious. That's not bucking your authority. But it is a dynamic you need to deal with. And you need to, again, use games or timers, those kinds of things, to teach them that there are times to bounce and there are times not to bounce. I love how the scripture puts it. It's describing this kind of a thing in Proverbs chapter 25, verses 16 to 17. Have you found honey? Well, eat only what you need, that you not have it in excess and vomit it. Don't you love that? So we get so enthusiastic about something good, some honey or some other sweet. We can eat so much of it that we end up vomiting it out. We don't know when to stop. Verse 17, let your foot rarely be in your neighbor's house or he will become weary of you and hate you. 
So sometimes, you know, those with dominant enthusiasm be constantly in your face. It's kind of overboard. Uh, or in verse 4, uh, so you will find favor. Excuse me, I'm sorry, I, I misspoke. And in chapter 10, verse 19, it says this about those with dominant enthusiasm regarding their words, talking so much. Uh, when there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. But he who restrains his lips is wise. So, there are going to be people, there are going to be kids that are dialed this way, hardwired this way. It's a good thing if channeled in the right direction, and that is your job as parents. You don't want to stomp them. You don't want to take away their bounds like they did with Tigger, but you do want to help them learn when it's appropriate and when it isn't. Give them some, uh, you know, again, timers and some games and, and, and spot check them to help them stay on task instead of enthusiastically bounding to the next thing. Um, and if they're talking too much or if they're present too much in other people's homes like we were seeing in this scripture or they overeat, or well, okay, that's just going to be one of the constant challenges you have. But again, they're disobeying not because they're being willful or deceptively rebellious against you and your authority. It's just dominant enthusiasm at play. Now let's go to number five. Number five is kind of at the other end of the spectrum of dominant enthusiasm. One reason why kids may disobey is slothful apathy. Slothful apathy, a sloth, you know, a sluggard. You know, the Proverbs use these kinds of terms uh, quite a bit to kind of describe what laziness looks like. Let me take you to Proverbs 26, verses 14 and 16. I love these. They're so picturesque. Uh, uh, Proverbs 26, 14. As the door turns on its hinges, so does the sluggard on his bed. <laughs> I just love that. It's like a sluggard, somebody who's really lazy. It's like they're on their bed in the morning. They kind of get up like a squeaking door. And yet that hinge takes them right back down, right back into the pillow and under the covers. As the door turns on its hinges, so does the sluggard on his bed. goes on to say that the sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can give a discreet answer. So they can talk uh, their way into justifying in their own eyes that they're not lazy, you know, they're just laid back. Hey, Proverbs chapter 19, verse 15 puts it this way. Laziness casts into a deep sleep, and an idle man will suffer hunger. Or in chapter 12, verses 24, and then verse 27, we get this picture. The hand of the diligent will rule, but the slack hand will be put to forced labor. And then verse 27, a lazy man does not roast his prey, but the precious possession of a man is diligence. So sometimes a child may be disobeying because they have this tendency towards slothfulness and apathy at the opposite end of the spectrum of those that may be wired with dominant enthusiasm. You may have one of each in your family or several of each in your family. And so you deal with this obviously differently than the others. So let me just kind of give some real life examples. Uh, now, some, case, some kids are, are, you know, they're genuinely lazy. They whine about being maybe tired. Oh, I'm too tired. I'm sick. You know, you say, okay, it's time to help with the dishes. Oh, I'm feeling sick. I think I'm being... 
Well, all right, you know, you have to start dealing with that type of thing. Or they might say, that's not fair. How come I have to help? How come they don't help as much as I do? That type of a thing. Well, that's when you say things like, well, get get a clue here, son. Get a clue here, honey. Actually, life is never going to be fair. And this is why we help each other. And so we start chores together. This is a good tip. Start chores together rather than sending one who is struggling with slothful apathy uh, or even the others dominant enthusiasm or childish forgetfulness off to clean the room on their own or do a project on their own go with them say let's do this and you start together so they don't feel like they're just you know little slaves but you're doing stuff with them and then you gradually say hey listen let me let you carry on with it i'll be back in a few minutes but uh, uh, but stay on task. Here's a little timer. Once again, you could use that. Uh, and then you, you move uh, that timer to go longer and longer spells while they're learning to stay on task uh, together. So kids with slothful apathy saying that's not fair and, or start whining and all. Well, this, the training here is to give them a vision and to model what it is to be diligent. So that's slothful apathy. Again, no rebellion uh, here. Now let's go to number six. Oh, this one is so, so interesting. Another reason why kids uh, may disobey is temporary testing mode. A temporary testing mode. You know, sometimes your kids are going to test your limits, while at other times they can be very, very compliant. Uh, I can remember reading a study years and years ago by, I think it was called the Gassell Institute, that kind of charted that there are basically, you know, tend to be six-month swings where for six months, kids tend to be uh, kind of compliant. You know, they're a little fearful of the world, kind of not sure of themselves. They tend to be compliant with parents somewhat for a season, but then they get their their, uh, courage up. They get their confidence up. Now they start drifting out on their own. They try to start asserting their individuality somewhat. And, and so you can go for the next six months with that at play, where they're temporarily going to be testing your limits, your resolve on different things. And, uh, and you need to make sure that if they start crossing lines, they need to pay the consequence of it. Now, again, this is not open rebellion, but it is young eagles testing their wings, seeing what mom and dad are really serious about and uh, what they aren't. Now, um, over in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 10, it says this, Grievous punishment is for him who forsakes the way, and he who hates uh, reproof will die. So this is when they start testing it and, and stuff. They need to pay some, some penalty for what they're doing. That doesn't have to be harsh. And it may just be a gentle instruction. The Bible says also in uh, Proverbs 15, verses 1 through 2, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge acceptable, but the mouth of fools spouts folly. So what are we saying here? Well, when you have given clear warnings uh, to your kids, clear, clear limits, you know, like don't play in the street, you know, or don't play with matches, or don't play with razor blades, or let's take a break from playing with so-and-so across the street, or whatever it is. And, uh, and, and they go up right to the edge, you know, with their toes almost dangling over, you know, then they maybe take a step over. You need to make sure there's some kind of consequence for what they've done. Again, it doesn't have to be harsh. 
In fact, sometimes it's just a gentle warning, a little uh, raised eyebrow, a little finger up saying, listen, I'm only going to tell you this one time, don't do that again or there will be a serious consequence. And sometimes that's all they need. They're just testing you. And so you use a timeout or you use a lost privilege. Or you might ground them not too long, uh, or you might find them, you know, depending on how old they are. Something that just says, I notice there's a cost, but it doesn't have to be overwhelming. And you calmly but firmly issue the consequence when they cross the line. Let me tell you something. It is a blessing to kids when mom and dad will back up the limitations and the rules that they have set up. It creates a safer world for them. If you keep moving the boundary, and lots of parents do this, oh, well, we'll let it go. Oh, well, let's just go, kid. Oh, well, you know, whatever. No, 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 no. You've made a mistake there, my friend. So recognize that they will temporarily uh, test uh, your limits, your resolve, and, uh, and you need to make sure and respond to that appropriately. Now we got two more to go. Number seven, overpowering temptation. That can be a reason why kids will disobey at times. Proverbs 23, uh, beginning of verse 31, uh, says this, Do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly, and the last, at the last, it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. So, this is where we recognize that in this particular illustration, wine can look very, very enticing, beautiful, red, sparkling, and all in the cup. It goes down kind of smoothly, but if you drink too much, it's warning you. It'll bite like a serpent. You're going to get drunk. You're going to lose control. You're going to turn into an alcoholic. So be very, very careful. And I love that imagery. It stings like a viper. Uh, in another topping, in verse 27, it says, For a harlot is a deep pit, and an adulterous woman is a narrow well. Temptation, overwhelming, overpowering temptation. You know, sometimes our little ones can be kind of like Curious George. Do you remember Curious George, the famous yellow books? And Curious George, the little monkey, was always getting himself into trouble. Why? Because he would get lured into uh, dangerous situations because he was so, so curious. And he's getting seduced into crossing the lines of what he has been allowed to do. Uh, and those things that he's been prohibited from doing. So what do you do to try to protect your kids from being overcome by overpowering temptation and resulting in disobeying the limits that you've given for them? And again, we're not talking about rebellion here, but we are talking about them falling to this overpowering temptation. Well, one of the things you can do to deal with that is if the source of these temptations are coming from particular kids that they've been hanging with or particular places they've been going to or particular activities that they've been doing, obviously you start limiting those. Or you add some supervisory uh, supervision uh, during those times so that they are not uh, in a private place. They are not in a situation when they have to resist on their own. Another thing that you can do that's wonderfully preventative and sometimes even cura uh, curative is if they're doing the kind of activity that you know will lead to pretty dire consequences, you know, uh, 
uh, drugs and sex and alcohol and, and crime type of thing that they're being uh, seduced in, into doing, well then, you might set up going to a ministry in town that's dealing with the homeless or going to visiting a some kind of a presentation about uh, uh, from law enforcement about uh, prisoners and, and criminal offenses, that type of thing. They can see the results firsthand in the lives of those who did not have anybody to help them deal with overpowering temptation. And they gradually migrated to a life of these kinds of things and the devastation it brings when they see the results. Maybe you go to a ministry that's dealing with the homeless and people are on the streets and they've had some hard living and they see the results. Sometimes they can burn into them the dire consequences if they continue this course of action. So those are some ways to try to deal with the challenge of kids disobeying due to overpowering temptation. Now we get to the eighth and final reason why kids disobey, and that's willful and deceptive rebellion. I mean, they are just got jaw set defiance. It's a showdown of wills that you must win, especially when they're young. And if you start dealing with this when they're young, when you get old, it won't be quite as bad. Uh, That's usually true for the most part. Every defiant act must result in some kind of corrective consequence or it's going to get worse and worse and worse. It's pretty graphic how it's described in Deuteronomy chapter 21 verses 18 and following. If any man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey his father or his mother. Now see this is stubborn and rebellion. This is the reason for rebellion. Jaw set rebellion. The first seven did not have that component. Now we're there. If any man has a stubborn and rebellious son or daughter who will not obey his father or mother, and when they chastise him, he will not even listen to them, then his father and mother shall seize him and bring him out to the elders. In other words, this is a principle that's saying, look, sometimes their kids are going to have jaw set rebellion. It's ongoing. You can't handle it. Then take them to the elders of your church. Take them to other authorities to, to help you with them so they can get that this is absolutely unacceptable. Get some assistance. Romans 13, verses 1 through 2 in the New Testament puts it this way, Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. It goes on to say that God is not giving them the sword for nothing. I mean, the civil authority is there to try to keep some order. And man, there are times when kids uh, are in such a state of jaw-set rebellion and not responding to mom and dad, they're not responding to counsel, they're not responding to mentors, they're not responding to teachers. They end up doing things where the law enforcement gets involved and the court system gets involved and they end up in jail or something like that. Well, that is sad, but you know what? That is why it's there. And it's very tempting for mom and dad to want to protect them from that. They should, but once they do cross those lines and civil authority does get involved and there is a price to pay, you got to let them pay it. That's the deterrent. Uh, Now, when they're very little, uh, if you do your work at this stage, when they're showing that jaw-set rebellion from the get-go and you use... uh, say timeouts or you use spanking and by the way spanking is not striking a kid in anger 
not at all, or in frustration or with your hand or with a belt. That is child abuse. Spanking is when you have warned them of a, the consequence of a spanking over certain behavior, and when it's time to deliver like you should, you sent them in private, never in public. You, you make the query, what did you do that was wrong? And you, it's not a, did you steal the cookie from the cookie jar or something? Did you hit your brother? No, no. What did you do that was wrong? It's open-ended. They have to answer it so you can know that they know that what they did was wrong and what it was. Then there's the submission part. It's time for you to bend over the bed. You never force them down, never hold them down brokenness this is when you're looking for a spirit of brokenness you just paddle them with firm repetition but not too hard to wound them until they cry and soften and come to that place of brokenness and want to apologize and then you reassure them oh you hold them you hug them saying i love you so much and that is why we needed to give you that spanking to show you that this is not going to help you in the long run way more serious things can happen but we love you we just don't love what you did and we told you what would happen and we did it but you are so much you're the apple of my eye all right and you just keep holding them as they cry and then as they settle down go pray go have a cup of hot chocolate go have a bowl of ice cream or something that makes sure they know that you didn't discipline them in anger or frustration you didn't you don't hate them you love them and this is uh, spanking. This is timing out for teens. You're not doing spanking anymore. Maybe a lost privilege, but not too long because you don't want them to get embittered. Some kind of grounding or fining uh, would be appropriate. But they need to know there will be consequences to just jaw-set rebellion. They're going toe-to-toe with you. It's a gunfight at the OK Corral. You need to win. You need to show them that there are consequences. Because there'll be other authorities besides you when they get out there. And again, if the rebellion is continual, you might have to separate for a season. Put them in a specialized home uh, or recovery place uh, and all. And hopefully they won't come to the place where they continue to be rebellious and end up in the hands of the law. So that's why kids disobey. And those are the different ways to deal with it, my friends. I know it's a lot, but you know what? You can get my book, by the way. Go to markpg.org. My wife and I wrote a book about all this with more detail. Go to markpg.org and you can order that there. Well, Lord, we just thank you so much for this time together. And oh, what a privilege to steward our kids as best we can. Thank you, sir. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I'm Mark Gonzalez. Oh, until next time. Remember, those kids are the Lord's. We're just stewards. Love on them and correct them.